0: To say this is a new day for our country is an understatement. So much is changing, including the structure of the highest court in our nation, the Supreme Court. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is with us to discuss something called court stacking. And I'll let him fill us in on what it is, if that's happening, and if it is, is it a good thing for religious liberty? Lincoln, tell us about court stacking.
1: Well, before we even talk about court stacking, let's talk about why is the court so important for religious liberty. The Supreme Court, which is established by the Constitution, but there's far less said in the Constitution than people imagine, other than the role, like it it specifies in impeachment, that the Chief Justice presides over the trial and so on. But it all uh, really centers in the Constitution saying the judicial power of the United States Shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish that 's it. doesn 't say how many justices it doesn 't even say that there must be a chief justice. so it 's sort of a blank slate in some ways, but it 's a very important part of the powers in the u s democracy there's the executive power, which is the presidency there 's the uh, Congress which is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Mm -hmm. And why Americans don't sort of understand where it came from is beyond me, because it's just shadowing. In England, there was the uh, Parliament and the House of Lords. (laughs) But they democratized it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So both houses in the United States are voted by the people, but one is a simple uh, numbers of each state. The other is is a quota for each state. Mm Two per state, two senators per state. And then the other element of the uh, government is the Supreme Court. So you've got the judicial, the legislative, and the executive. And purposely, the Constitution sets up a triumvirate. And I was just listening to a program the other day about how uh, all of the pioneers or the framers of the Constitution were enamored with Greek and Roman models. And that's very plain. It just hit me at the time that in some ways they were looking at the uh, multiple rulers of Rome. Rome had proconsuls, divided rulership, but always it ran on the fiction of the Senate as the people's representative, and then the consuls, proconsuls, and then finally even the Caesar. But Caesar, even when they were at their most despotic, they still had to deal with a weakened Senate. So this is the U.S. system. So the Supreme Court is valid, not as some group that establishes law or that passes laws, but judges whether laws are being executed properly or if they're indeed even against the principles of the Constitution. And and very few people seem to understand that the Supreme Court doesn't legislate. It passes judgment on on matters of law that come up to them, and thereby they can shift how law is understood. For people of religion, there have been a number of regrettable cases There was the one a few years ago that said that the Indian use of peyote in religious ceremonies, it was called the Smith case, that peyote was, and that was their religious practice. This was prescribed hallucinogenic chemical, and since it was a generally applicable law against drug use, it was not a restriction of religion to restrict them. Well, that was really against principle of religious liberty, and many people arguing for religious rights thought that the court got it wrong. But it's obvious how they did it. They just were pursuing another principle of the Constitution, but to the detriment of religious liberty. And this has been the case of some of the worst cases of Supreme Court misjudgment, not least of which I think was the case of Lawrence v. Kansas, which really enabled gay rights and gay marriage. I'm not so sure that that court was any more pro-gay than any other. They recognized shifts in culture. But they were protecting privacy. But along the way, they opened a Pandora's box of opposition from people of faith, thinking that they could legislatively hold back a moral or immoral shift in society, and those that felt that there was a principle involved. So as as we come up to a shift with this last election in power from Republican to Democrat, the conservatives and many conservative religious groups feel that suddenly you know, gay rights are now going to be empowered again, that the court will be used to restrict religious liberty, which I think is, on the face of it, sort of futile. I don't see the court set to restrict religious liberty. What I think, as I've said before, is they may, with their personal biases, be inclined to empower, through court actions, a certain form of religious identity. That's a danger, because of the nine... The vast majority are uh, Roman Catholic Christians. Right. In fact, there's only one Protestant on the Supreme Court. No constitutional problem, but clearly human beings are human beings, and, and it wouldn't be a, a shock that the inner bias would, would tend them to be more favorable to a certain form of faith that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we go to a new administration, the charge was made during the election that the court could be loaded, that it could be shifted radically in freedoms. When the President Trump said religious freedom is in danger. The abortion will be re-empowered and so on. Oh, you know, a whole litany of things that are a threat from the court. I don't think myself at this point, even yet, the court is the main threat by any means. But it's dangerous that people see them as a loose cannon. And this idea of packing the court has got all people worked up. And they should understand that the Constitution says nothing about how many. And in fact, uh, early on, there were only five justices. President John Adams passed the Judiciary Act of 1801, which reduced the court to five justices. And why did he do that? In an attempt to limit President Thomas Jefferson's appointments. Okay. So early on, they were playing the same yes, game. They were. Started with six in the Judiciary Act of 1789, when they had six, but then it was reduced to uh, five. And it says, then in 1807, Jefferson and the Congress added a seventh justice when Congress added a seventh federal court circuit. And as I read through it, I think that's what's driving it. They tend to have a Supreme Court justice for each federal uh, circuit. Mm. I think I'm right that there's nine circuits at the moment. Then it goes further. and This is interesting history. In early 1837, President Andrew Jackson was able to add two additional justices when Congress expanded the number of federal circuit court districts. And it says then they created the 10th Circuit in 1863 during the Civil War, and the court briefly had 10 justices. Mm. But there's nine circuits, I think, presently. And so it's worth thinking, you know, that there's logical reasons why it's been nine for a long time, quite a long time. But it's not cast in concrete. But if the Democrats in this case were trying to stack the court, they have to do it through legal means. They have to pass legislation, two-thirds of a majority. Then they have to have half of the states confirm it. Very unlikely to happen, sort of suddenly and and against the will will of the majority. And even then, what harm would be done in the sense of what constitutional harm? When actually, if you look, and we don't have the time to go through it, if you look at the appointments, the last two conservative presidencies had a chance to appoint an awful lot of justices. And it's very unlikely, at least in my lifetime, that we're going to see it tilt ostensibly back to an overwhelmingly liberal court. So uh, what we've got, we've got, and I think they're so far generally showing themselves to be restrained legal justices, you know, with a legal background. And I have myself never seen a clear correspondence between who put a justice on the court and how they act day to day, Hmm. other than one case. I think Thomas, Justice Thomas, Hmm. broken that mold. But, you know, one justice doesn't the whole court make But there's not a clear correspondence. And if anything, the United States should rest easy on. I think it has a stable Supreme Court. And we do hope that as long as possible, to the very end of time, that the justices will dispense justice. The Bible speaks badly of a time when the justices pervert justice. If we get to that point, it's very, very late in the day. But I don't see it yet.
0: Well, that's good news to hear you say that, Lincoln Steed. because a lot of people are thinking, oh my, now that we have this mostly conservative majority in the Supreme Court, that's going to open the door to all of the, the doctrines and the dogma of, uh, of religions to come in and take over. You're saying that probably won't happen?
1: I don't think so. But what I do believe is the most dangerous dynamic is if we had an administration and or legislator's that are moving the wrong way yeah. against religious pluralism, such laws passed by them might be more likely to be endorsed passively by mm-hmm. the Supreme Court. Gotcha. Because okay. they would share the same sensibility. Yeah. The court has some leeway in what cases they choose to take. That They have to be cases that come up to them, but there's many cases they decline yeah. to speak to. Yeah. But I think they would not decline, with the present makeup, to speak to things that had a moral or religious basis. But they can't themselves make
0: law. And also, even though we have this majority conservative, they're not all exactly the same. They don't all not. believe the same, right? No, of
1: course not. Yeah. But I just lived long enough. I just wish people could look at the record and think it through. Yeah. There is not an absolute clear correlation between which faction appoint them and how they tend to side okay. in, yeah. in the cases. And even then, I think it's unfair to some of them because they may side, a conservative judge may side with a liberal case that excites the liberals, mm-hmm. but they may not be doing it for a liberal reason. That's true, that's true. They're doing it as a matter of law. Mm you know, underlying on both factions is the idea that the justices can twist law to their own liking. And that's not generally done. The time that it was done most egregiously was around the context of the Civil War and shortly after, when there were strong biases on all fronts and the court was guilty in a couple of cases that are a reproach to the United States. They're fallible. But as an institution, I do not see it as a looming threat. But on religious liberty is everything else. The old saying that uh, vigilance is the price of liberty. We do need to watch and not just think everything's gonna be fine. I do think for the general assumption of, of religious clarity in the United States, it's a little bit troubling. The makeup of the court is so overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. I'd be more comfortable if there was more representative Protestant and indeed other religious identities there. And it links in my mind to what Senator Santorum, a deeply committed Roman Catholic legislator who I admire, but he said when he ran for president, to great dismay for many people, he said Protestantism is absent in America. And as a Seventh-day Adventist with my view of prophecy, I think there is a certain danger to a liberal democratic view of religious freedom when a Protestant sensibility disappears. Because Protestantism in its best form was what enabled religious pluralism in the United States.
0: If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258. Or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.